we all know what do we not do while we're driving down the road. We don't check messages. We don't go on apps. We don't mess with our phone. So what do you got to do? You got to find somewhere to park and somewhere to stop to see if there's a parking spot down the road that you got to go anyway. So if you're going to find a park, place to park and stop, hello, pop the brake and go to bed. I'm Todd Dills. Uh, you're listening to the Overdrive Radio Podcast from Overdrive Magazine, and the voice you heard at the top was that of 40-year veteran over-the-road owner-operator Ingrid Brown, pointing out a central catch-22 of sorts of the parking info systems that are delivered via mobile technology. If you can stop to uh, get to a parking space to check them, why not just stay there? It's one she brought up in order to emphasize the need for greater parking capacity, well-managed, throughout the nation, but particularly along Texas lanes. Uh, Those lanes are the subject of the lively discussion we held at the Great American Trucking Show in Dallas last month, devoted to parking. In today's podcast, you'll get a full window into that discussion, aimed at engaging with Texas DOT freight planning branch manager Sherry Pfeiffer and others from the agency, as they reevaluate their own approach to marshalling public resources and creating partnerships with private companies toward parking development and improvement. Along the way, you'll hear from a multitude of owner-operators, drivers, and others in attendance, as well as owner-operator Brown, Clark Freight Lines driver uh, Jack Smith, and former owner-op Scott Greenearth, who moderated the discussion. Greenearth, as regular listeners will know, is part of the Truck Specialized Parking Services Company. They debuted the uh, RigRest platform earlier this year and managed some private truck parking facilities as well. Here's Sherry Pfeiffer setting up the discussion. Good morning, everybody. Uh, As Todd mentioned, my name is Sherry Pfeiffer, and I'm the Freight Branch Planning Manager for TxDOT. And and last year, you all were kind enough to let us announce that we were starting this truck parking study. And one thing we really wanted to focus on is the fact that drivers are the people who tell the story. None of us who drive a four-wheeler can assume what it's like to park an 18-wheeler or where you can stop. I know a lot of us probably have preference of where we like to stop and it's a lot easier in a car than it is in a truck. So what we started doing is we started off by kicking off 21 meetings around the state of Texas, inviting stakeholders, drivers, Scott participated, um, Ingrid has participated a little bit, and really asking the questions, what challenges do you see and what solutions can you offer as a driver because we never want to assume that we know the right answer until we talk to the people who actually use the network and and use the parking facilities. So common things we heard that all of you know, there's lack of capacity, Um, a lot of demand near freight generators, which we would define as border regions, warehousing, ports, you know, DFW came up quite a bit as is a place where people need to find parking, but they're parking an hour to an hour and a half outside the city because they can't find a place to legally park. Uh, Safety and amenities were a really big topic. Something as simple as a trash can came up very, very often. Um, Signage and information about truck parking. You may not be from Texas, so you need to know where you can park. Um, And then policies and regulations, we all know that Truck parking kind of gets a a bad rap at times. 
And so, you know, talking about the zoning and the regulations that are tied to parking. Uh, some drivers shared with us through a survey that take underutilized land, pour down gravel and make places for us to park, make a pull-off area. Um, another solution was to improve the availability of information and develop public or private parking that can almost serve as staging in the metro areas. So when your shipper might say, I'm sorry, I'm not ready for you yet, you're not driving 60 miles out of your way to go park somewhere. Uh, and then another idea came of maybe we encourage development of parking through tax incentives. So we've gotten a lot of great feedback. And along with this, we started collecting data that's telling the same story. 18% of all locations are at or over capacity 20 hours a day. 45% are over capacity at some point, and 60% of the large truck stops with 100 spaces or more, those are at capacity at some point in the day or over capacity. And you can see just even by the colors on the map, it's, it's, it's telling the same story you're telling us. So now it's time to find solutions. So Sherry put together a brief series of slides that went along with her initial presentation. You can download those slides, including the maps you just referred to, via the post on my Channel 19 blog that houses this week's podcast. That's at overdriveonline.com slash channel19. One thing that we heard was we need truck parking information. This is not a part of the study, but it's a start. We applied with California, New Mexico, and Arizona to put the truck parking information systems on I-10. It's a US DOT grant. We won the grant and we'll be putting those signs in along I-10. And that just started in April, so we're, we're not even <laughs> away from the, finish or from the starting line yet. But uh, it's a start, but it, there's a lot more work to be done. One question we have that we found in looking at the data is up on the map, you're gonna see the El Paso truck, the one with all the red dots. That is a truck stop in El Paso. And it's full and it's overflowing every single day, every hour of the day. Two miles away is the Travel Information Center and it's never had more than six trucks parked. So I think that'll be a great conversation starting point where we wanna better understand what's, if there's something we can do differently with the rest areas that would make them more accommodating, you know, share that with us. and. I'll hand it off to Scott now to kind of get things started. And I'm just glad everyone could be here and look forward to having a conversation. My goal is to talk as little as possible. I want to get the input from you all. So I'm going to try and achieve that now. With, I know that, Jack, you were saying earlier that you just really recently had an issue with truck parking that illustrates a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. If you want to maybe start off with that and get a good idea of the kind of feedback we're looking forward from you all out there that are out there every day dealing with this. Okay, thank you. My name is Jack Smith. Jack is a company driver with Pasadena, Texas-based Clark Freight Lines. Like I said, he's got several years of over-the-road experience with them at this point, building on more than a decade as a CDL holder in various other operations. Uh, the example that uh, Scott was talking about was happened as early as two days ago. I was coming in from a, a run out of state. Uh, I had to do a delivery. Uh, in North Fort Worth, they're in that Alliance area. I'm sure everyone's familiar with that. And I thought I had plenty of time. Um, I had used a, a common um, uh, app called Trucker Path 
uh, found a, what I thought was a truck stop very near where I was my uh, delivery point. And this is at uh, literally at two o'clock in the afternoon. And even though Trucker Path said the uh, lot was full, I, I just, sometimes that's not completely accurate. So I, I just said, nah, that can't be true. I'm just, I'm just gonna go and, tr and try it. And at 2.20 2 in the afternoon, day before yesterday, on 185 spot, uh, uh, truck stop, it was completely full, including paid parking. And it got me thinking, you know, that's an area in Fort Worth, 35W, that is growing as far as uh, industrially quite a bit. And anything south of Denton, other than this one truck stop I stopped at, it's the only one, there's no, there's no DOT parking, there's no other truck stops, and that's a fairly long stretch. Uh, and it looks to me like that would be, I mean, one, that's just one of many, but that, that was immediately came to mind. That was a problem area. I couldn't believe. Now, I don't, I don't use that corridor very often, 35W. Uh, we are dispatched out of uh, Pasadena, Texas. So uh, my experience in that area is, is not very much, but I was still shocked uh, and then another, just, this was yesterday, uh, after I get that work done, I go and I deliver, I pick up, and uh, I'm preparing to stop for the night here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I decided uh, there was a truck stop there on I-20 in uh, between 35E and 45. This is again, it's uh, about 150 uh, space truck stop. It's again, 2.30 in the afternoon, and the exact same thing happened. It was completely full. Uh, there was a sparse, uh, I was able to park there because there was just a couple of reserved paid parkings available. But again, it was shocking because uh, in my experience, usually if you're looking for a place to park, whether you're trying to get your 30 hour, I mean 30 minute break, uh, and it's in the middle of the day, it's, it's usually no problem whatsoever. Uh, not that early in the day. And back to back, two days in a row, I experienced that. So de definitely in my experience, the Dallas-Fort Worth area lacks. Uh, again, I, uh, I do use this app, and so what I'll do is I'll expand the map to show anywhere from Weatherford to Terrell, just to give me an idea of what all is available. And I can't believe just how few places there are to park, whether it's DOT um, or private parking like Flying J, Pilot, Loves, etc. And so, again, using that experience, that, that area 35W, uh, that would be a good place to start. And I know, Sherry, that we've talked before briefly about and when, when you have your booth here at the show where you're looking for input, one challenge you have is in those areas like you're describing that are where obviously things are humming along pretty well with the economy and there's a lot of freight generation going in and out of there, that those can also be some of the more expensive places to try and address, right? And so that's one factor that you all are facing at TechStop when you look at this and for everybody to think about is where can your assets be, be utilized, right? Yeah, that's something we're looking at actually today at the booth. If you haven't already been to our booth, stop by. We're asking drivers, fleet managers, 
take a look at some of the funding options and we'll give you a stack of coins and if you were in charge of the funding, where would you put it? Would you invest in something like multiple gravel lots that get put throughout the state because they're obviously cheaper and a little easier to maintain? Or would you fund new state rest areas? Um, and then uh, metropolitan parking is another topic. Some, something like staging that, like I mentioned before, a great place to know that you're not so far from where you need to deliver. Um, right now, because we have to tally the coins because we keep running out, um, the top two choices right now are the urban parking and uh, new safety rest areas. But again, that will get less capacity because they cost more. Yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to finish how I met, uh, met that challenge the day before yesterday. Uh, you know, I, I knew I either had to drive back up north of Denton, which again, this is getting uh, 30, 40 miles away from my delivery point, or I, I, mean, I just had to find somewhere to park. So I was able to go and find a warehouse district uh, where uh, I could just literally drive around. And luckily I found a sort of a dead end that had a, it amounts to four or five different parking spots. Basically, were these lanes that just dead end and you were out of harm's way and out of uh, any traffic. But that's never a fun thing when, you know, you're like, uh, what do I do? And you're right, parking a truck is, is very, very different than parking a, a four-wheeler. But that's, that's what I end up having to do is you just got to go out there and look and search. Sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you don't. Yeah, and unfortunately, we're all familiar with happening with Jason Rivenberg, you know, in a situation like that. And, you know, Michael Boglin, who was in an area right where I used to run all the time. Uh, so we definitely, we know that's not what we want to have as the preferred option out there. But yes, also, again, the challenge of thinking where can the funding go is a good thing to keep in mind, too. Uh, so, Ingrid, where, what have you seen here in Texas that you see, you know, opportunity-wise, challenges that you've encountered in the area? Uh, my name is Ingrid Brown. I'm an independent, solo-owned woman trucking company. Have 40 years, 4 million miles safe driving. I've ran Texas my whole life. I mean, I run top, bottom, side, side, all over. I also had a secondary residence in Texas for many years from uh, where I was previously married. So Texas is a big, a big part of my career as well. Um, you know, there's we know there's problems. I mean, that that's why we're sitting here. We pretty well know what those problems are, especially as drivers, carriers, fleet managers, brokers, everybody in the industry knows. You know, capacity is, of course, our number one scream and yell and match. Number two is, is we have parking, but who actually do we go to for the areas of parking that's available? Um, rest areas, we've, we've gone over this, and, and areas of places that are shut down, places that can be uh, facilities installed because Texas does have a lot of parking that is um, just parking areas with no facilities, with no security lights, with no cameras, with no emergency um, uh, connection whatsoever. So, you know, starting out with realistic requests and realistic ideas, you know, I can go over the problems all day long and we can like, I can waste my time with that. and. The thing is, is what are our solutions? My solution for me, being a female running solo, is that I'm in a safe place. I'm in a place that I can have a facility. 
I'm at a place that I would prefer to be able to have food, but at that same event, I have a refrigerator, I have a microwave, I have, I have capabilities for that for a shift. Um, but those things are the first things at the top of my list. It's not about really where you put me, it's where I can find to get to. Yeah, I, I didn't hear you need a movie theater on that list or anything like that. To meet our basic needs is, and do it where we need to be at as well, too. Yeah, and I can assure you as a six foot nine guy, I share the same priorities that you do as a female as well, too. Absolutely do. Yeah, and it's, it's something we've seen out there. Well, I, I'd like to turn it over to you all at this point. Todd's out there with a the microphone. We, they, Sherry wants to hear from you. I just want to, again, facilitate discussion here. And just thinking of what would be really good for you to help for tech stock folks to know what, what's going on, if you can just give a super brief description, like what, what are you doing? Are, do you run all 48 states? Are you just in Texas? Uh, flatbed, you know, what kind of operation basically? Are you an owner operator, company driver? Just that very basic thing. Or if you're, you're an executive with a company, you know, you're, you're dispatching people, whatever. Just give us a super quick tip snippet of what you do and then what your observations are. So let's go with that. My name is Doug Hasner. I'm an owner-operator. Um, what I've seen is there's a lot of accidents where guys are parked on the exit ramps on, uh, on interstates. If you could move them from the exit ramp to the entrance ramp where speeds are much slower and you have an accident, there would be a fender bender versus somebody getting killed. Have, and I'm curious, have you seen any states that have, that are, or anywhere that people have, uh, they've found a way of addressing that and really encouraging drivers to do that successfully? Nothing that I've seen that they've actually said, you can legally park in these areas. And, and that's, that's a problem. Some of us that are smart enough to say, okay, I've got nowhere to park. The lesser of two evils is to park on the entrance ramp, and we do park there, we still get a ticket. You know. And would you... Would you see something like a gravel pull-off on the side of that versus just being the shoulder? Would you feel like that on an entrance ramp would be something that Absolutely. You, would be utilized? Absolutely. Now, I know Ingrid very well. I would be willing to park in a less uh, elaborate situation. Give me a farm field that will support my truck. Yeah. I, I hear you there, definitely, absolutely, and I see it. That's, that's something I've heard before a lot, too. Matter of fact, uh, um, I spoke on Dave, Dave Nemo's program on SiriusXM this past week, and that was one of the things people brought up there, too, is the idea of, hey, just parking somehow right adjacent to, like you said, Cherry, gravel area, or if you can create a small area off of there they can pull off into safely, because um, I'm sure you've all, anybody who's run the Pennsylvania Turnpike, you might remember that they used to have parking all on there, and they got rid of a lot of that because they had, as you described, a, a horrific rear end accident. I'm from, I'm from northern New York. There I you run go. it all the time. Yeah, exactly. So you know how many spaces you lost because of that. And National Transportation Safety Board you know, came to that conclusion. So we know that getting it far enough off is good. So whatever the AASHTO recommendation might be or whatever standards out Pennsylvania there. Pennsylvania did great. do something about that, though. They've, they've made their shoulders over 14 feet wide in some areas. Yeah, and they put the strike down to indicate, you know, that, and that's the way, yeah, that, yeah, exactly, just to indicate where you can, so, great, thank you, that's a great example there, absolutely, anybody else, oh, there we go, and also, remember, if you can hold the mic up good and close, 
Um, I drive for Robert Heath Trucking, based here in Dallas. Um, we do deliver freight into Dallas. We have a freight that originates in Dallas. Um, let's say I'm coming in from out of state, bringing a load in that delivers here. I'm at the tail end of my hours. Hours expire at the dock. Under FMCSA rules, I cannot PC from that warehouse to my yard. If I do, I'm in violation. I lose my PC privileges because that's company policy. A quick note about PC or personal conveyance here in the scenario this driver brings up. I don't know everything about the company he's driving for and what their internal policy on PC use may be, but FMCSA did in fact okay the use of PC in situations where a shipper or receiver holds up a driver during load or unload, causing hours to expire. The new guidance issued last year holds that it is at least kosher to use personal conveyance to go from that location to the nearest parking area in an off-duty status. Search, quote, personal conveyance, end quote, at overdriveonline.com if you aren't aware of that change in the specificity of the PC guidance as yet. That wasn't the end of this driver's story, though, which continued. So, and Jack, I know exactly what truck stops you're talking about. I've been to them. They're a packed house. It's a madhouse. It's crazy. Um, I was coming in from Denver the other day. Wanted to stop in Dumas because my hours would not get me to the Petro and Amarillo. All the truck stops, all the truck parking in Dumas filled up. At least I knew, hey, the DPS has a way station site just south of town and there's all they allow us to park there if we have to if that's our only option wasn't wasn't ideal but that's where i stayed for my 10-hour break then i went on in amarillo the next day but um there used to be a rest area 20 miles west of weatherford on i-20 the exit's still there everything's bulldozed I remember stopping in that rest area one time because I had a bad tire. But it's not there anymore. That's changed in the last three years. I-40 in Arizona, there's five rest areas along that highway. Two of them are closed. One's near Flagstaff, all the facilities there, but it's got a chain link fence and razor wire around it. They don't want anybody in there. The other one that's closed, well, they're doing renovations on it. It's at the California border. but. Isn't there a rule, I've heard this on Dave Nemo's program and other shows, that as part of the interstate highway system, there's supposed to be rest areas every so often along the major interstate highways and the major U.S. highways that are considered trunk routes. Are we just not enforcing that rule anymore? Is it budgetary issues? What, how come we are losing those dedicated rest areas like that. Yeah, and I'm thinking too along with that is the um, looking at what development has happened maybe since those rest areas were put in and as these areas both you and Jack are talking about here where the there's tons of freight coming in that that might be the more higher priority maybe than just simply sticking with the formula because we know hey we need two of them in this area forget that formula so is that something you're looking at in the study? Well, in regards to your question about the law, I would have to look that up. I don't know the answer. The relatively short answer is that when the interstate system was established, there was a stipulation that planters account for a place to stop and rest at least every half hour, whether it was a state-run facility or a private space. 
Some states went farther and established their own recommendations, uh, particularly those with vast rural areas. In some cases, there are requirements. But unless I'm wrong, there doesn't appear to be any uniform federal uh, policy that uh, is a requirement directed at the spacing of specifically public-owned facilities. Those that exist have developed over time according to that early rule and later recommendations and demand otherwise. But when you question, you know, is it budgetary, they are expensive to operate and maintain, especially the rest areas that have the nicer restrooms and the attendant and things like that. But we're, what we're looking at is a, a variety of options between just public sector being government funded. What can we do? What can we do to improve existing? And, you know, is it looking at closed rest areas? Why, one, why was that one closed? And two, is it feasible to reopen and possibly repurpose? Um, and then it's also looking at public-private partnerships. You know, it doesn't have to be we want you to have the amenities. It's mind-blowing when I see that there's not a restroom. But um, we want to be able to provide more of it more frequently, because that's something I've heard, is people say, if I could just have parking and know there's an option every 100 to 150 miles, and that, I mean, maybe that number's even smaller, I don't know. But we are looking at a variety of options. A lot smaller. What would you say? 30, 35? OK. Hi, Sherry. Thank you. My name is Kari Fisher, and I've been on the road with my husband for 10 years. Have you considered doing a service plaza? They have facilities. They have restaurants. You can take showers. They have truck parking, car parking, RV parking. So that is a federal law that, as the state, we cannot commercialize any existing right-of-way. I know there's places in the Northeast and I think Chicago where they're grandfathered in on the tollways, but that would have to be more of a private sector investment. I know, Scott, you brought up one to me that was really interesting, and I can't remember if it was North Carolina, that you said it's almost like its own little community with a movie theater. I mean, this is, has major bells and whistles, but the community bought in because they could use it on the weekends. But I would love to see the federal law differently <laughs> because commercializing a rest area would be a great, a great way, but unfortunately it's against the law. Yeah, and, and that is something that definitely I've spoke with more people from other DOTs that have shared that same thought too. They would like to see every option available to them, but it's, she's completely correct. It's currently, that's the regulation that is in place, but there's a lot of people interested in changing it too, so who knows where that could go. Overdrive readers have weighed in in various ways on this topic over the years as well. The general prevailing opinion seems to be that if it means more truck parking, wider rest area commercialization would be A-OK. -okay. No surprise there, I suppose. Truck stop interests, interests like Natso point to studies, however, showing parking options per mile were more limited in areas where the grandfathered commercial rest areas exist. Uh, most of those are uh, on toll roads, though, and as I've, as I've suggested elsewhere, those studies feel a bit to me like they make pretty good parking-related arguments against those old toll facilities, and not just commercial rest areas. Kari Fisher continued on. Yeah. Kari, did you have a quick follow-up? Well, Scott, can you answer how come West Virginia has them? 
like she said, they're grandfathered in. Oh, they, okay, they, gotcha. Yeah, they're, you know, it's toll roads that were put in initially. Yeah, absolutely. Florida Turnpike, same way there. You know, so absolutely that's what's going on. Hi, my name is Courtney Simmons. I work on the United States Transportation Alliance on their research in their safety and training committee. Um, I am not personally a driver, but I work with the board and the committee members. We recently went over the transportation parking information management system, the TPIM system that you said that you have gotten a grant for. How does that help increase parking? It increases signage to tell drivers where there's parking, but it's not actually increasing the amount of parking you're adding. So you're getting grant money and using it to put signs, which are helpful to a driver that's not from the area, to tell them that there is parking available 40 miles down the road. But there's also 100 trucks that saw that same sign that go in between that person and that person going into the, they use an in and out system, they use sensors in the lot, and they use cameras. You don't know if the truck has been there for 10 minutes because they just stopped in to use the restroom. You don't know if it's been there for 10 hours. There are a lot of issues in that system that even the TPIMS operations people weren't aware of. How is that helping you create parking? Well, and I, I, actually, I absolutely agree with your point. Um, it won't create parking. It's more creating the information system. And part of our plan as we develop our system <laughs> is to meet with stakeholders like, like, like you all and also meet with the, the MATSO, the TPIM states, and say, you know, what challenges, once you went live, what challenges are there? And then that's also why we're doing this statewide study, because it's not the only answer. You know, we said, I love the idea of the signs, but they're not, they're, they're only kind of a piece of the pie. There, there's a much bigger piece of capacity of getting more parking out there. So we do recognize that. We, we've had this discussion, and, and I work with Courtney on the USTA uh, <clears throat> Training and Safety Board, and truck parking is definitely one of our things that we've been working on, Sherry, and we talked about this. And, you know, we do find those, those flaws are really, really things that somehow is so simple that didn't click. And a lot of people don't really think about it, but you say, well, why is technology not working? And why are the signs not accurate? Well, you have those sensors in the, in the stalls, trucks pull in and everybody goes to bed. Well, when trucks come on it back in, it shows there's no one or two spots, three spots. They pull behind the trucks that are pulled in the stalls that are counted. Well, when those stalls are emptied out and people leave, then they're clicked off on the sign and it goes to 10 spots. You still can't get a truck in there because they're blocked by the width, the long ways, and you can't get them in. So the accuracy is, is not dependable. I have a problem with the technology deal. We all know what do we not do while we're driving down the road. We don't check messages. We don't go on apps. We don't mess with our phone. So what do you got to do? You got to find somewhere to park and somewhere to stop to see if there's a parking spot down the road that you got to go anyway. So if you're going to find a park, place to park and stop, hello, pop the brake and go to bed. 
I, can, I know what you mean about those spots. Like in Kentucky, there's uh, the rest areas there where you can pull in behind, and that, that does present a problem anytime. It's like, there's a spot available, but I can't park there. So close yet so far. Absolutely. And that, and that brings the whole thing of good geometry, good in access into rest areas, all those things that play a key role in the good design of that. So you have another question. Well, our training committee had gone through this whole TPIM system with uh, several states that employ it. They had, the states had spent $25 million on this system. How much gravel will that buy? Sounds like it would buy a lot. I, I don't know. Oh, yes. <laughs> but no, no, I see your point. But we'll definitely, afterwards, I want to get your cards because it's something we want to coordinate because I said there's no sense in putting up signs if they won't work. You have to put the effort in to talk to the right people to make sure we get the right technology and partner it with the right solutions being increasing capacity, whether it's through the public sector or the private sector. So. Yeah. And I'll just share too that I know there are state duties out there that really are aware that, hey, you know, they, these people did it first, they've learned lessons, and they're, they're, they're talking and they want to learn from it and learn from truckers what's worked and what hasn't. And also, along the way, make sure that all that capacity that is there definitely gets used because it's, that's your point, it's expensive. <laughs> they don't want to waste it when it's already there, they've invested that money. Uh, Sherry had mentioned about the uh, you know, all of this is I still considered planning stage, and yes, we do have uh, rest areas that are being shut down, which again, I, I don't know enough about uh, infrastructure and who makes those decisions, but it makes no sense to me how, why that's happening. But even if we were to uh, build more rest areas or these gravel places that you're referring to, you had mentioned 150 miles apart. Well, one of the things that I've learned <clears throat> since get going ELD is uh, 150 miles is a lot when it comes to time and if they're that far apart that that doesn't seem very functional I think it is it would be smart to me to again obviously funding is an issue but uh, have these rest areas they may be smaller but closer together because if you've only got 55 minutes of drive time and and there's a there's a rest area that's available and you, you pull over but you're losing driving time it's I know uh, that's a different issue but it still matters I mean when it comes to planning and how you would think about uh, placing these new these rest areas I do think smaller yet more uh, not just close yeah closer together uh, because of the way the ELDs have really uh, locked us up a little this gentleman right here and him and i were talking he says well it's just a it's just a function and the laws were, are still the same i said yeah but let's face it uh you know i've if, if i finally got to finally got to go another 70 miles to get to a rest area that i know is open from experience i'm gonna push that 11 hours okay we we everyone did it if you're a driver you did it if you said you didn't then Shame on you. <laughs> I'm just saying, I think if, if you're talking about planning, that would be a thing that would be important to me. Uh, I know I'm still uh, talking about problems rather than solutions, but so much of that is beyond me and when it comes to property costs and those sort of things. I'm just saying 
my experience would be uh, maybe a little smaller, but closer together, say 70, 80 miles apart. Yeah, and I can see reason for that too would be where despite every bit of planning every professional driver can do to try and plan your day out right and be in the right place, you can still end up being held up by a shipper or receiver anywhere along a route and end up out of hours and then just need to quickly get to that closest safe haven parking. So having that close by, I can see it would be a, a good thing there. This question is, um, one, let me just thank all of you for being here. Uh, Ingrid, we love you, <laughs> Texas and TexDOT. Um, and uh, all of you are kind of our friends. Question I have for, for Jack and Ingrid. I know Ingrid, we've talked a lot about solutions, but Jack, you brought up the issue of urban areas. Your story about coming to Dallas and you know delivering and looking for a place to park. And the fact that on I-35 EOW, within the Metroplex, literally there's no rest stop, at least public. I drive that stretch you talked about a lot going down to uh, Waco. There's no rest stop between here and Waco, a public rest area. You know, so my question to you for in the urban areas, how do we address that? You know, we talked about 40 miles out. That's not going to help you if you're in Dallas proper. If you have to drive out 40 miles, that could be an hour or two hours. How do we address that? What are your thought process? You mentioned you had to go to a warehousing uh, area. Well, I'm hearing this for the first time uh, just today, which I do think it could be uh, something that's relatively inexpensive and serve the purpose, and that's these staging areas, these urban, you know, they don't, ha they don't have to be real fancy. Um, I, I understand Ingrid's concern, and that absolutely they're very valid, but there's a lot, there are a lot of drivers that would say, look, if I just have, a, you know, solid ground, uh, even if it was just uh, the least little bit of lighting, I don't need anything else, and I, I don't, I, that would be, again, I'm hearing this for the first time today, and it sounds like a, a, that is some form of a solution that I think should be looked into. These, uh, what I would call them, little pockets of staging areas. Maybe staging isn't the right word. I, I'm not sure what it no, is. You, but you've got a great word. I was going to bring that up. That That's one yeah. thing we kind of forget about in discussion is there is a need for overnight parking to get your complete mandated break in. Also, then there's a need for in urban areas to just be able to say, hey, here's a spot where you can get in before the traffic goes horrible, and at least you're close to your destination. And then, Ingrid, any thoughts on that? Does yeah. that, then at that area, having a spot that maybe is less facilities wouldn't concern you, right. especially yes. if there's also planning for the long-term parking reasonably near. Right, because most of those, you're not gonna be there for 10 or 34 hours. You know, how we, how we are and how we come in and, and you're waiting for an appointment. And a lot of people don't realize what we deal with, Jack, is that, <clears throat> we have appointment times. I haul a lot of produce. With produce, you can go into somewhere and they'll give you a 2 a.m. appointment. You do not check in sometimes until 15 minutes before it, maybe an hour before it if you're lucky. Okay, if you get into town, say, two hours before, you literally have nowhere to go in Dallas-Fort Worth, literally. I used to come right down here off of Griffin on the back side, and all of y'all are going to know where I'm talking about, to the dead-end corner down here after you cross the bridge, cross the interstate. 
and I used to park in that corner by myself at about one o'clock in the morning to come all the way back around through town to come to the market downtown Dallas and I did that every week coming from California. Now that tells you the safety, but the thing is, is I was parked in the middle of the road. I went to bed with my flashers on because there's nowhere to go. Here's the kicker. If you go to a lot of these distribution places and warehouses where we're going nowadays, when you get there, because you got caught up in a wreck or you got caught up in traffic in Fort Worth to get to the Dallas or get to a Walmart or Cisco or or anywhere, or H-E-B or anywhere, if you are one hour to two hours late, you are charged now a late fee. That's your window. And that window can go from $150 an hour to $500 the second hour to $600 the third hour, up to a thousand a day. And they will cancel your appointment usually after the second to the third hour. And you have to find some place to sit until they schedule you a new appointment and you might be lucky to get it in 24 hours. If you have perishable goods on, like I have Driscoll strawberries on, and they have a timestamp on them, I own my own company. Guess who gets to eat that if they turn that down? I do. So parking right now, this is why we have major problems with it. This is why the, the consumers have major problems with it. This is why we have quality problems in the grocery stores and everywhere else is a lot of it has to do with the parking situation that people don't understand. We have nowhere to go, nowhere. Staging lots, come all for that. You can keep the bathrooms, the lights, or anything else. I don't have to sit in the middle of the road with the flashers on. I got one other thought to add on to that too, to see is we, we've actually, Caroline and I were earlier just talking about the fact of how difficult it is to get community acceptance of new parking areas. Uh, I'm sure you've all heard headlines somewhere about insert the name of the truck stop is not going to come to this town because of lo local opposition. So with thinking of staging areas, meaning thinking where you could say, hey, you know what? This may, doesn't even have to be open 24 hours. It could be available starting at 5 a.m. in the morning, 6 a.m., whatever, you know, to help people get in there. But that might be a way of alleviating that local concern that there are going to be trucks idling all night long or whatever. So you could even, in some areas, maybe where that would be valid help out. So got another question out there. Okay. Uh, this is just from my experience. Um, Costco, they do have an on-site staging area here Mountain Creek Parkway. That's great. Get in, get out. You got a place to park. They'll let you take your tent there if you have to. Thumbs up for them. Randall's Tom Thumb, they used to have a staging area. They've decided to expand the facility. They've taken the staging area out. You can't get over there any, um, you have to be there within two hours of your scheduled appointment to allow you to be there then. But if you want to park there overnight to meet your appointment, it ain't happening. They've changed their policy. And Walmart, they've got bukus of land, but they don't have staging on property. You have that window one hour before, one hour after your scheduled appointment to get in there. The only people allowed to park there is, okay, put your door, put your trailer in the door, disconnect, park in the bobtail area. We'll call you when we're done. 
unless you have the ability to drop hook. And um, I know it's different companies. I like the guys who give us that staging area, allow us to stay for our break if we have to, but not everybody's gonna do that. And then in these new big warehousing areas, that's where that ability to have parking near that entire area because there's all these trucks coming in, in and out. That's where staging is important and not always convenient. Let me see if I can take that idea to a thought for you, perhaps, Sherry, is do you see where that maybe when you look at the partnerships part of the your, what you might do, that maybe there'd be an opportunity to reach out, find key places like that to maybe have a public-private partnership to say, hey, you know, we've got some land off an exit. Oh, great. We, we, we're all, we've all had this idea, all right, Ingrid? <laughs> Everybody out here is nodding their head and say, hey, can we provide a staging area? Because one thing that I think you'll all agree on, you don't have to be two feet away from the loading dock where you're going to. If you can get even within a mile out of the traffic to where you don't have, uh, you're not tied up in traffic, that would be a huge advantage. So maybe is that an opportunity for you looking forward to public-private partnerships? Yeah, that's definitely one of the conversations that's been had uh, at, at most of our workshops. That was brought up of a mix of either is there a public-private partnership opportunity, and it's absolutely going to be explored. But even people saying, what if there was almost like a co-op between some of these warehouses that it's their co-op parking lot you know, where they, you, you kind of scan in and I'm here and then move into the dock when it's time for you. That was another option that people talked about. And, you know, it is a great idea. It's, it's just a matter of finding the places. I like your idea of being right off the exit because in Metro Dallas, I don't know where... <laughs> That's why I was Quite thinking, where, where would you have the land to do it? You can't just randomly go, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, but off the exit, as long as you're close to a certain area. <laughs> Something that I found, oh, I'm sorry, Jay. <laughs> Something that I have found is uh, there's a, an area up where I pull out of Holland Mission a lot with Boar's Head Meat, too, going out. And I found that uh, a company has gone in just recently, I mean, like in the last month since we talked last, and they have gone in and privatized, they have private parking. And what they do is they have, one place has over 400 spots in it. It is a, a secured place. Uh, right now there's not facilities in it. Um, I don't believe, I'll really have to check that one out. But what they do is they actually have to check in. Uh, it is a paid parking. But when you're talking about Gary, Indiana, I mean, come on, we're talking, yeah. Uh, you know, give me a fence up there, please. Uh, other than that, you can keep everything else. At but, least one fence. Yeah. You know, North Chicago, they have another one that's like 150, 175 of them. So. Ingrid Brown here is referring to two new facilities from the Truck Parking Near Me company. Search that phrase in quotes at overdriveonline.com to read more about those. They're finding these places that we're talking about. They're going into these industrial parks. They're going into these areas, but it's just starting to kick off. So it's there in Texas. It's got to be here. So my question is, how do we, Sherry, <laughs> Carolyn, how do we go about, I mean, is it maybe feasible that we 
contact the people that do the, that's doing these others that are setting up these spaces and get them involved with y'all? Or, I mean, how do we go about doing that? I mean, I think any, any bit of us working together is always going to be helpful. Um, you know, I, I think as we progress in the study and we finish looking at the, where are the big gaps at, which from the map you saw before, they're, they're everywhere. Um, you know, we can start working with our local district offices as well and some of our local economic development agencies and work together, but also bringing the industry in because everybody has a part in it. Um, but I, I think that's, you know, the approach because another thing that's been brought up is um, malls going out of business. So you've already got the paved lots. Is this some, you know, what can we do to repurpose things like that that are going out of business? And I mean, malls are kind of a thing of yesterday, I feel like now. So places like that could also be opportunity, but it's, it's gonna take coordination between the state, the private sector, the industry, talking about you know how do we make this work? And a big piece of some of this issue, I think too, is educating the general public that you don't have your milk without this truck. So, you know, or you had a great point in grid about hauling strawberries. It doesn't click to people that maybe the strawberries look bad in the grocery store and it's not the grocery store's fault. It's not the truck driver's fault and it's not like someone picked bad berries, but maybe that truck was late because of an accident or something like that. And it's just, it's really a trickle down effect that no one ever thinks of the truck in, in, that, in that way. And I know especially when you talk about those areas of the malls and that, that's where the community acceptance would really come in because that's, they're going to be in the community, close to houses, things like that. So did you have another thought there, Jack? Well, this may be a little redundant, but I was, I know there's often times where I'm at my location on time, but it's still after hours, um, say, you know, it's a large warehouse, but they don't allow you to park at the warehouse when there's just countless docks and they, it's just one of their company rules. Is there any way to incentivize uh, the company or like this kind of private public uh, discussion where in some way that the deep uh, text dot could incentivize or somehow uh, provide Again, I don't know if it'd be a monetary incentive or whatever, but in, uh, provide them an incentive to allow us to park there when, when that's where we're going to deliver that very day. But that, that company policy just simply says no. Yeah, I know a lot of them, they're, they're concerned about liability, but also at the same time, if you've seen the coverage of Unilever Corporation, massive corporation internationally, they, they provide truck parking at many of their facilities you know, through a program, and they've had... They went two years with zero problems ever. And who so, is this? Yeah, Unilever. There, there are a lot of big name, huge name brands out there, Nestle, things like that. Um, so yeah, it, it's an odd thing. And that's where also the private you mentioned, the company I work for, we, can, we could operate those facilities for them. And that's where maybe Rolla Dot can say, hey, we can't do something for you, but we can help you get to someone who might be able to work with you. That's where this all of the above, you know, comes in so frequently with this approach. Yeah, it's definitely going to take creativity. Yeah, I know, Todd, we had a question out there, right? 
Uh, yeah, hello, my name's Steve. I'm company driver, flatbed, run lower 48. Uh, I've seen it a couple times. I didn't know if Texas had an idea about it where, uh, especially outside of uh, Chicago on the toll road, and then there's one I know in Kansas, it's either Kansas City or St. Louis, where a construction company had come in and done work on the road. And in their process, they leveled off a, a large flat area on the side, minimal uptake. But when they were done with it, it didn't get destroyed. It got a slight bit of improvement and I think three dumpsters and a stack of porta johns and maybe two lights and it was said truck parking only. And that alleviates some of that upfront cost for the state, but I know that the standard changes, but has Texas got an idea about, because I know they come in and do that. I've delivered bridge pieces in downtown large cities and it's like they just took three acres of ground, leveled it, slightly improved it. You could park trucks there, but when they're done, they put it right back to the way it was it's like you had parking and it just disappeared so does texas have an idea about i mean that's one hand helping the other and saving a lot of money so or maybe even a job site prep area that might be available for years and then somewhere down the road you need to use it again to rebuild the road but then bam it's back to truck parking after that even if you actually um someone came to the booth over the week and said this very same thing um, they were citing Nebraska, I believe, as an example. And um, they said they even, to make sure that there was trash cans, they sold sponsorships on the dumpsters. So it served a, a little bit of advertising. They were doing the same thing with the porta-potties. And I think that's a fantastic idea because I know that we, I know plenty of places, even just around Austin, that those, those lots exist. Um, so that's a great idea, and we're, we're definitely considering looking into that. I'm Danny. I've been in trucking a long time, but <clears throat> one thing I want to point out is each driver, each driver needs one spot at a time, and so each of these solutions has potential, but please don't limit any of them or rule them out because they're not big enough. Because five spots here and 10 spots there and 30 spots there, you've just taken care of a bunch of drivers. Um, so, so keep, keep adding to the list and don't mark very many of them off. <laughs> That's a great point. Thank you. When he brought up about the, you know, three acres, you kind of average that it will take one acre will park about 40 trucks. Um, usually kind of figure in about an hour, about an acre and three quarters by the time you get an entry and exit. Plus you got to figure in all your curb size, all that stuff. So you're looking at it, and I know y'all are going, she drives a truck. Yeah, I grew up in a construction company, so I, I had to go to school for that too. And um, so you're looking at, at I mean, three acres, give me three acres. You're talking about being able to park 80 trucks here. And it's already it's already a proven foundation, and it's already a, a past, you know, grade and stuff. I mean, I like your idea. Yeah. No, and that, that is, it's a great idea when the, the the lady brought it up to me. I was like, where's that at? We need to look at this. <laughs> yeah, it went, and just to reiterate again, when they get move further on with the survey to more toward implementing things, be ready for more input, more examples. That's always welcome. Any state DOT, where you live, where you haul into, share ideas, because they love stealing other state ideas that work. <laughs> they don't want to have the ideas that fail. So don't ever be bashful. I have a question for you. Uh, I run up and down 71 sometime coming out of Austin going towards Houston. And uh, there's a roadside, a, a, was a, a roadside park there 
and they've recently closed the park down. Does anybody know why they would close a roadside park down? They actually put barriers on both sides of the park and shut the park down. It was a long way that truckers could pull in and park, and uh, they they dumped gravel on both sides and dug it out and uh, closed it down. It's sitting vacant now. So we have no place to pull off over there coming out of Austin going towards Houston on 71 there. And it was a state maintained park, but they closed it down. I don't, I don't understand why. Where was that at? It was on 71 as you're going from Austin to Houston or Austin to I-10 on 71 there. It was a nice big roadside park. It had picnic areas there and uh, it was a real nice place to pull off. I, I'd have to look at the location to see. Um, I know some sites have been closed due to maintenance and operational issues, um, as well as the cost to maintain them. But I, I'll, I'll definitely take a look at that site because that is something we're doing, is going back and assessing, okay, what, what sites were we forced to close for whatever reason, and what can we do, you know, which ones would be effective to possibly reopen and do we have the funding for it? Yeah, and I'll give you a real quick example of what this could be is when I, uh, in Missouri, the DOT there, they had areas that it was EPA compliance because it was just an antiquated um, uh, sewage treatment facility there that was no longer, it was discharging bad stuff <laughs> into the nearby creeks. And that's one, that might be the kind of thing that happened there too, because I know states have dealt with that, just trying to maintain keep up with the sewage treatment, things like that. And that's it. That's expensive too, of course, so. Why don't they utilize the room they have at the rest areas? Like on I-10, there's one right outside of, between Bernie and Comfort, you fit 10 trucks in there. But they have room with grass and everything that drivers, as you know, are usually pretty good backers. And you could back up to a fence and get in there, but they got it, an acre of grass just covered and no place to pull around there. Or there's straight pulls instead of angle pulls in there. It just depends on when that one was built and designed. I've, in, our, in our meetings with some drivers, we've been told the newer designs of our rest areas are much more efficient and offer a lot more parking. But that's actually a discussion we've been having with our, our design group, uh, as well as the engineering group, is saying, okay, so we've got some of these real old rest areas with parallel parking, which is not near as efficient. You know, is there, is there grass or dirt area where we could look at expanding and just getting more, more utilization out of it? Yeah, you're not alone in that thought. When I was on Dave Nemo's program, that was the first caller. He said, he said there's lots of those rest areas like that where new capacity would be a cinch. You know, it's already there. So cool. All right. Well, thank you, thank you all for good feedback here. I know it's genuinely appreciated. Thanks, Jack and Ingrid, and, and thank you for caring, Sherry. Yes, and a big thanks here to Scott Greenearth for moderating and all who attended and weighed in with their thoughts. And as for the rest of you, keep engaging your own state DOTs. I think it's safe to say that whether or not the organization seems to care on the whole, there's always someone uh, whose job description includes responsibility for this issue. Your contacting them might just make the difference in whether they care at all or not. That's a wrap for the podcast today. Here's to a good rest of the week for everyone. Stay pro.